Hello, guys, and welcome to our next session with RevOps and ABM, brought by Anastasia. Hey, Anastasia. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, Anastasia, Enrich, ABM, RevOps, you're the guru of it, right? So <laughs> before we get started, let's... Uh, um, let let's tell the the audience a bit about um, yourself, because uh, when I when I had a conversation with you, um, I thought that this is this this is this is gonna be interesting because of the educational background that you have, like uh, <laughs> the the anthropology of um, and and the human behavior, which is <laughs> I believe very interesting when it comes to um, ABM, right? At the end of the day. Because it's all about um, human interactions. It's, it's all about human psychology at the end of the day. And you are um, in a company that does everyday ABM. You see a lot of data, right? You see a lot of uh, um, different approaches. But also you can put it in this mindset that you have. So that, that, that's for me brilliant. Tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us, how did you end up in ABM from anthropology? Because um, it's important for us to, to, to get these foundations before we dive into the uh, operations and to the, the content. Sure. I see where you're coming from. Let's establish that she's qualified. <laughs> no, no. I, I said let's establish that Anastasia is the actu actually different has a different approach to ABM because of her background in anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me give you the lowdown. So um, my journey into RevOps, uh, we lived in Kyrgyzstan my whole life, and you know this, um, Eastern European parents tell you that um, thou shalt pick a degree and it shalt be an engineering degree <laughs> or a maths degree. <laughs> Yeah. And then you need to go into a job that matches that degree. So when I, um, so when my 18 year old self went, I want to do anthropology, my parents went, you what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously after that came the questions of what are you going to do afterwards? And I said, I didn't know. And I did sales. And then I went into RevOps. But the reason I did anthropology and the reason I still stand by that choice firmly is because it's a study of human cultures and human societies and human behavior. Um, did I have this kind of foresight when I was doing it? Probably not. I think I, I was just like, oh, this is really interesting and um, a bit different. And as an 18 year old, that's what you want. <laughs> you want to be a little bit different. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, it's really helped. Um, like the foundational thing in social anthropology is this idea of like cultural relativism, um, it's mm -hmm. called. So it's the idea that human behavior is, uh, is right in the context in which it's being performed. So when we see um, a tribe in Papua New Guinea doing something that's to us weird, we have to see it from, from their point of view, from their context. And actually in RevOps has helped a lot because you speak to uh, you sell, speak to salespeople day that just do wild things and without losing your mind, you have to go, okay, I can see why you did it, but it's, can we just not? <laughs> so it does help. It was 
a choice for a degree. Um, I don't know if I would have made that choice again, but you know, it happened. Um, I stand by my commitments to it. <laughs> I will defend it. Um, but you know, one of them. Great. So let's jump in into uh, the presentation. So, all right, we're talking about ABM today. That's where we're all gathered for. Um, I think we're not going to go into like the technical setup of ABM and what each campaign should be, but I think we should start with a foundation and we should start by addressing like the things that typically go wrong. Um, I'll talk you guys through the five most common pitfalls that I've seen in ABM implementations. Um, but also like the ways to steer yourself around them away from the disaster uh, when you're implementing um, ABM programs. I've got a real life case study for you. Um, so it's been lovingly referred to Enrich for Enrich um, in-house. Um, so it's effectively an ABM implementation at um, Enrich. And I hope it's exciting for you guys because I've been joking that, you know, if it goes on any longer, I'm going to need some sort of occupational therapy. But if anything, at least you guys will learn something from uh, from what we're going through here. So normally start with definitions, and I thought this was would be a really nice place to start for me as well. So what the fuck is ABM? Um, at its core, it's a demand generation approach where sales and marketing target ICP accounts together as a team. So it's a collaborative approach. Um, important to like double underline make bold everything you want just to emphasize this demand generation part of it because um we also have lead gen um in marketing right and that's a very very different thing um it's a very different way to of going to market so where demand generation is all about kind of brand awareness and um driving um driving prospect attention to yourself and positioning yourself as that market lead and the the expert and kind of acquiring accounts and in that way lead gen is more of a it's it's a much quicker jobby right so it's um we've published something we did a marketing thing um and we've now generating all of these leads and sales can go and do the sales thing to them um, so demand generation is a longer game, um, and it does require that very tight uh, sales and marketing alignment. Um, with the sales and marketing alignment, um, therein lines the kind of the scary thing about ABM, because in a typical setup uh, within most organizations, and most orgs do lead generation rather than demand generation, right? So within most organizations, it's a case of marketing generates us a ton of like leads of varying quality. Um, and then we have to sift through all of these leads and we find the golden nuggets and then we as sales convert them despite, <laughs> despite the marketing efforts to give us, um, to give us all this crap. Um, with ABM and with demand generation, we're changing that too. We work together with marketing on our ACP accounts we deliver the same message to the same prospect base and conversion of this to booked meetings to revenue is very much a joint effort. Even when put like that, and we're forgetting for now, like all of the process that goes into it, all of the CRM setup, everything uh, auxiliary to this, even this basic thing is scary to organizations because ultimately this means that a lot has to change. And 
I mean, it's a it's a change that can rock the foundations of a company, uh, first of all, because, okay, let's talk about like even something as um, as mundane, right, as commissions that salespeople receive. In a lot of the organizations that I've seen, salespeople will be paid different on inbound leads than on outbound leads when they convert them. So that will have to change. And there's a lot of these little like trickle down events that need to that need to be tweaked, that needs to be um, consideration around them just to just to change your mode of operation from um, normal state to ABM. So changing to true ABM is scary. And before I go into the pitfalls, I really want to talk about how we announce this change to our team, how we structure it and how we manage it in a psychologically safe way, where I'm going to do my bit for humanity here. Um, so people are generally scared of change. Um, and it doesn't matter where it's a change of GTM strategy or like you've added an extra thing for them to do in their day to day. Um, for some reason, and you know, we generally adapt pretty well to stuff, but for some reason, when it comes to work, there is more of a resistance. I don't know if it's because there is money involved or because it's like something that comes in autopilot for a lot of people, but work-related change is processed in a lot more painful way uh, for a lot of people. And most organizations don't undertake any kind of change management or they don't undertake any kind of, um, you know, steps to make sure that people feel safe within the changes that they're making. You will probably get a Slack message uh, like, hey guys, by the way, uh, like at here, by the way, we've changed everything. Uh, so yeah, enjoy. Some people will do like an email announcement. Some people will do like an all hands about it if you're lucky. But, you know, this whole textbook's written about change management and how to do it. And it really boggles the mind about why people don't do it right. So um, this is what I, why I wanted to address it. Um, I'm going to show you guys now like my favorite diagram of all time. Um, and it gets cracked out so often in my conversations with people I, I might as well just get it tattooed somewhere um so this is the Kubler-Ross change curve and I've shown you it now and you will never be able to unsee it in your life because it's so so helpful but effectively when we implement any kind of change within an organization people go through all of these different stages so you know how there's like stages of grief these are stages of change um so when we kick off any kind of change, everyone is this in this left-hand side corner. So we've got the shock, denial, and anger overall. Why is this happening? Why was I not consulted about it? Everything's going to get worse. You know, this is chaotic. This is a shit show. Why is this happening to me? Then over time, people move down into this kind of low depression point of, okay, this is happening. Nobody's listening. And... I have resigned to this situation. And then slowly but surely, people push through into the, um, the sort of upper right-hand side. So we've got the experimentation decision and integration stages here. So they start thinking and experimenting with how they do their work. They start to um, kind of adopt the changes. And then finally, they emerge at this right-hand side of integration and they're happy and they're performing again and, you know, everything is okay, or as okay as it can be. Um, the purpose of change management is to take people through this left-hand side quicker 
not let anyone down in depression stage and not leave people behind or too many people behind. Now, how does this apply to ABM? So we talked about how it's a big change. Um, naturally, where big changes happen, if you can identify the people who, um, who might get stuck in any of these particular stages, you can also identify um, like how to help them. So I'll give you an example. So if I'm implementing ABM or any kind of different change uh, at an organization, and I know that Romeo working here with me will get stuck in the anger and denial phase. Sorry, Romeo, I've just decided that you're that kind of guy. Um, so Romeo is going to get stuck in the anger stage. Um, the questions that I want to ask myself is, why is he there? Why will he get stuck there? And what could I have done before change even started to, well, move him out of that anger phase quickly? Equally, if I know that Romeo is not actually an angry guy and he's actually um, going to race through all of this stuff and into the decision and duration phases, I can go, okay, so what would make Romeo excited about this stuff? Like what? what is it about the project that would make him go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. And based on the the kind of the insights that I'm, I managed to gather about this, um, this person, I can then say, okay, so I'm going to need to do X, Y, and Z to prepare. I'm going to need to do all of this um, tooling setup and everything like that. So you can see how just a little bit of preparation will make it a, a lot less painful in here. And the whole problem, um, the whole problem with ABM not being implemented properly, the whole problem of the chaos that people speak of when, when change is introduced is because no consideration is being made to how people react to change. Um, very simple, very simple change. Please go consult to your team. Please go speak to them about what they will need and actually make it like a, a crowdsourced um, solution um, when it comes to ABM because it's it's a massive change. And if you don't do it right, then you might as well just kind of not do it at all, sadly. And, and this happens also when we move to a new country, right? Like if we think oh. about uh, the, the culture differences, um, when we move to, like when I moved, for example, from Europe to India and I, I lived there one year and a half, I went through this, right? I went through this and I saw a lot of uh, other expats going through the same. Um, it's it's just a huge change that um, that happens and it, and it takes time. Like it took me around three months to get used to it, right? Yeah. But then I didn't want to leave. So that's also this this um, thing that is it's it's just a human emotional reaction to, mm -hmm. to change, and we as ABM and RevOps um, specialists we need to be aware of this, right? We we mm -hmm. cannot just go in and say, okay, guys, now we are changing everything. It needs to be step by step. Um, mm -hmm. My question to you though is in a situation where there is a lot of economical changes and there is a lot of um, pressure on both marketeers and sales in changing their go-to-market. Uh -huh. um, how, how do you think we could uh, actually have this um, human approach to uh, changing completely the, the go-to-market, right? Mm -hmm. Without putting that much pressure 
on the um, stakeholders that actually will benefit at the end of the day of this, that change. Sure. So I think I think there is always time to do things properly, um, and I think if it's the situations where there is no time to do to do things properly have been entirely fabricated by ourselves. So the first point back to you is okay. Why why is it so hasty? Like well, what's gone on there? Um, but I think as well. Um, the, the best thing you can do for your teams during any kind of change projects is to consult them and to ensure that they're involved from early on. So if you're making a change such as ABM where that involves, you know, your head of sales, your head of SDR, marketing um, head, the, the team under the marketing head as well, and everyone adjacent, you, you need to make sure that you're speaking to those people at some point. So I think when it comes to go to market strategy, you can't do it chaotically, right? You need to, you need to give yourself the time to do it properly. So yeah, I I don't necessarily buy the whole well we didn't have time to do it properly thing because mm-hmm. you probably did. <laughs> you probably just didn't plan it well enough. Um, but that's what we're here to do, right? We're we're here to talk about why what things go wrong so that people can plan it properly. So maybe this will help. Um, right, I've done my bit for humanity now, so let's talk about the ABM itself. So, common misconceptions. Um, Romeo, what's the what's the biggest misconception that you have to correct? Um, maybe in your own thinking as well, but just in general. The biggest misconception that sales guys try to find uh, shortcuts all the time. <laughs> Maybe it's not true. Those people are present. We love you dearly, but you do do that. <laughs> <laughs> you do do that a lot. I think my biggest one, and okay, so I worked in a um, in a company where they had ABM headcount. Like they actually had a person responsible for ABM, but they targeted him on leads. And at the time, I I didn't know what what it was like i didn't know what abm was at all so it's like oh it's just it's a marketing thing it's a campaign that they're running okay great so i'll just report on it fine um didn't look too far into it um and yeah thinking back to it now like poor guy first of all um and second of all that wasn't really what abm is like it's not it's not just about the leads right um I've seen some wild things being called ABM. Uh, like I've seen a static list of like dream accounts that the SDRs would target without any kind of marketing support or data or science behind it being called ABM. I've seen um, ABM setups that have been done years ago and they're kind of just running and gathering dust in the process and they're not necessarily right anymore. Nothing's necessarily okay about them, but you know, it's been set up once the project's done, tick. They're just um, scary. Yeah. The, the piece de resistance for me is the, the kind of we'll get loads of leads straight away misconception. Um, and we hear this quite a lot at, um, at Enrich with our product because obviously we do, uh, we sell an ABM platform to our clients and they think, okay, we're, we're going to buy this, we're going to, finish the project and we're just going to bathe in all these leads and all the money that's coming out of it. So 
that's not the case either. So it's like it's a little bit of a longer process, and it generally like ramps up as it goes along. So it's a trickle, not a waterfall, I'd say. Um, but the combination of like misconceptions, the fear, the lack of change management, the lack of investments as well um, into ABM results in ABM pro programs, but in name only. So. <laughs> High quality needs again. Um, what it can be is this really powerful engine for demand generation and for um, for revenue. What it looks like in most companies is more like the the little dog um, on the on the right hand side. There, um, it's just a little bit like meh. Um, but. Again, we're here to correct a lot of this stuff. So let's hope, uh, let's hope we can course correct as we go along. So five common pitfalls of ABM uh, for me. So we don't understand what it is. We set ourselves the wrong KPIs, set it and forget it. So talking about like projects that have been done years ago and just allowed to run, um, no involvement from sales team and we underestimate the size of the project. So number five is where um, I'm going to unleash all of my enrich for enrich trauma on you guys. But um, let's go through them one by one and um, see what we can make of them. So we don't understand what it is. Um, ABM is one of those terms that is um, a bit of a buzzword and it's shrouded in mystery. Um, and that's mainly like our fault as well as RevOps and as marketeers. Um, we don't demystify things enough for our teams, I think. Um, and I'll go into it in a bit more detail when we talk about the lack of sales involvement. But as a general rule, in most companies I've seen, ABM is just a term, uh, no science behind it, no data evaluations happening, nothing like that. Um, so typically there'll be like a static list of target accounts in the CRM and then the the SDRs are just kind of let loose on it. Like, okay, go do, go do the thing. Um, and then marketing also runs like tofu campaigns, uh, done, right? Tick, everything's okay. Um, we've already talked a little bit about this kind of cultural and mind shift um, change. So we're taking people from the us versus them. So sales versus marketing to us and them sales and marketing. And to do that, um, there is a lot of work to be done, first of all, to actually fix the relationships between the sales and marketing teams, right? Because in a lot of companies that I've seen, it's like a, it's a cat and dog scenario where they're just constantly fighting. And once you undo that and bring them all into the same le uh, level playing field where not none of them is above the other and both of them are playing nice, um, that's kind of where the, where the magic of it happens. Um, but at the beyond like the relationships, beyond the CRM setup and you know, beyond like the technical nitty-gritty of it, I think um, the best way to understand ABM is to understand what it will do for your company specifically. So as an organization, uh, we want to change to an ABM go-to-market strategy. What's our overall goal with that change? What's the strategy? Like how are we going to get to the top, to the peak of that summit? And then what are the milestones that we should see along the way? Um, a lot of the time I see people implementing ABM because it's the thing to do. Um, and it's not necessarily right for everyone. Not all companies will be in the right stages um, to, to do this kind of stuff. But if you think it's right, then keep 
uh, keep aligning on the goals, on the strategy, the milestones, the everything with your team. And speaking of change management, this is the best way to, to introduce people to, to it all early, because if people feel like they're involved in the goal setting and then the strategy setting, they will go through that lovely Kubler-Ross curve a lot quicker because guess what? They've participated and um, they've, they've contributed to the change that's been done to them. Um, another point. So we, we might have seen the terms like ABX or ABS as well uh, floating around. So um, ABX is like account-based everything, X standing for sales and marketing, right? And then ABS is account-based selling. So what I would say is that if ABM is a new concept to your business, if nobody understands what it is, and if people genuinely are feeling confused, depressed, and angry about it, use the term ABX instead. The term doesn't matter. The strategy does matter. So don't hold on to, to the word, hold on to the, the feeling that the word evokes in your team, right? Um, so take the focus away from just marketing. So shift the focus from ABM being just a marketing thing to something that sales and marketing do together. Um, and it will generally help. It will aid the understanding of it. Um, pitfall number two, and another really high quality meme. Um, so we set ourselves the, the wrong KPIs. Romeo, can you tell like my, my state of mind has been deteriorating with these memes as I went along? Because I feel like they're getting worse. Um, right, KPIs. Um, in general, and I'm going to go back on everything I've ever said in my career, right? In general, revenue is the North Star metric for organizations. So that's the thing that you focus on no matter, no matter what. In ABM, because of the time it takes for you to get from the campaign launch to the point of revenue, you cannot focus on just that. And a lot of a lot of companies do, and they don't see the return. They don't see that ROI within sort of the first quarter of doing it. And the ABM pro uh, program just gets scrapped, which is a sad thing because they do take a long time to ramp up. They take a long time to implement. So. Um, the focus being on revenue straight away from day one is completely detrimentary uh, to it. Depending on your um, sales cycles, depending on how long it takes you to get there, it could take up to nine months uh, in some cases that I've seen to actually get to the first point of, of sale, right? To get to the first true ABM account to actually convert. Again, depends on your organizational maturity. Maybe you were doing something similar before and you just kind of tipped them over the edge with ABM. But as a rule of thumb, it takes a while to get from campaign launch to revenue. And it's important to keep that in mind um, as you're starting this because you're not going to see results straight away. And therefore, measuring revenue straight away and driving um, you know, all of your marketing team um, silly with, with trying to generate this revenue like on day one, um, is not going to get you the best results out of them. There are specific things that you should be looking out for uh, throughout the course of it that would be kind of early indicators of things going completely wrong that you just need to course correct straight away. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of timelines though, just really quickly on this. Um, so if we're saying that the whole shebang will take us four to nine months, um, it doesn't mean that we wait four to nine months to kind of 
see any kind of results. Um, what we do in these cases is that we change the leading indicators. So we change the our KPIs from you know the set in stone North Star type things to other indicators along the way that we can have a look at. So um, in month one, I think you'll start seeing your ICP accounts engaging with your content. In month two, your SDRs will start converting the, the hottest accounts. So you might see um, a better outbound conversion on the accounts that marketing have influenced as well. And then sort of month four to nine, um, there's the ROI and pipeline and sort of um, any kind of um, revenue revenue indicators as well. Um, now to, to the stuff that we're talking about. So what kind of leading indicators can we look at at which stage? So mm -hmm. as a first step, if you're picking KPIs, you need to define your buyer journey. So you need to figure out like what are the kind of, what are the different stages that this buyer will go through and therefore what kind of different insights can we take from them? So um, this is taken from, um, from the Enrich for Enrich case actually. So this is the stuff that we're using ourselves. So um, we're using cold and market and engaged in hot stages. Effectively, it's going from they don't know anything about us and they don't have any intent to buy all the way through to they're actively researching our solution there in market. Um, based on this stage, you can then assign um, a particular KPI. So don't do it where you, you've got your KPIs and then you try to map them back. Uh, do it properly define buyer journey, and then assign the KPIs per stage. So for cold and in-market accounts, we are mainly looking at things like ad engagement, and then also um, the kind of percentage penetration into account base. So what we're looking at is, okay, we know that these are all of our cold ICP accounts. How many of them have we been able to reach with advertisements? So it's a very, um, mm. like a marketing specific thing, but as a leading indicator, above all else, I think it's perfect. Like that's that's all you need uh, before you know how how well your campaign will perform. Then we get down to the engaged and hot stages, and here you can look at like returning website visits, um, visits to high intent pages, outbound conversion, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously they land into um, a a salesperson's calendar and here we're in much more familiar waters so we've got our number of form fills number of uh, sales accepted leads and blah 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 all of the kind of revopsy um, buzz term kpis there so define the buyer journey first figure out what the kpis would be for that journey and those kpis are your indicators like your red flags along the way so for example, if you started doing ABM and you can see that there's a lot happening in the cold uh, and in-market account stages, but then you've got nothing in engaged and you've got nothing in hot stages, you can tell that something's going wrong. So maybe your ad engagement is high, but it's not actually driving the traffic to, to your website. So you're not positioning yourself well enough, Do you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, starts with a good good buyer journey map and it's not exciting i'm very sorry about that but you know <laughs> you gotta do it you have to do this stuff okay we're on to three um so the set it and forget it thing so i hope your abm programs won't look like this chair um but i think they will end up looking like this chair after some time um and this is just down to some natural decay things so things change um but there's also a few um a few other things in play so 
first thing to address is that um, you know how people always say like your CRM is a product, not a project. ABM is a strategy. It's not a project. So it's not something that you do once and then it's just done. It's something that you do and then do and do and do over and over again. So it has to keep getting adjusted. Um, the other thing at play here right now is that our ICPs are not static. Um, so in tech specifically, um, the the economic shifts and changes will massively affect how your ICP behaves. And so you need to be able to adapt your strategy and your messaging and your targeting as well to it. Um, if you don't do it, you kind of are in a situation with that chair where it doesn't quite work, but it, it looks right if you squint. Um, and then it, the other thing as well, so this is quite interesting about um, ABM specifically, but because it's reliant on both sides of the team rather than just on sales or just on marketing, turnover and skill level in the sales team and in the marketing team will have more of an effect um, on your go-to-market strategy. So typically, if you do like a linear lead gen where marketing does a thing, gives it to sales, sales do their own thing, you can mitigate for risk for you know people leaving within the sales team who are not very good at that, um, are good at converting leads, I mean, sorry. Um, you can mitigate the risk of the leads falling over by, um, you know, the, the sales manager stepping in or some someone else. But if the teams are very closely aligned, one weak link uh, that just does something completely wild and out of the blue uh, in one of the teams can, um, can change things and can make an effect on, you know, the revenue that we're generating from these programs and all of these kind of things. So, here um, is what I was alluding to earlier. So this review cycle. So how do we actually operationalize um, the constant looking back on what we've achieved? And in effect, it is very simple. And I believe that a lot of things should be a lot simpler. So here we go. On a monthly basis, um, I would have a look at the running of specific campaigns and I would have a look at what those campaigns are generating. So maybe in terms of ROI, so in terms of like the pipeline generated in revenue, maybe in terms of just pure, um, you know, leading indicators. So how are these campaigns performing? Then we do a tweak, we launch it again, and on a monthly basis, we review and keep going with it. On a quarterly basis, I would really recommend that everyone reviews their ICP and sales velocity metrics. So a lot of the times we, um, start with our ICP with an assumption, right? So we once converted, we once, you know, sold to BMW, therefore our ICP is BMW. But actually what you need to have a look at is, you know, what are all the other deals <laughs> around this one big, uh, one big one? What are the customers that stay the longest? So keep on a quarterly basis, keep assessing your ICP, Make sure that it still fits. Make sure that the market conditions are right to sell to your ACP and, you know, make any changes there. Um, on the quarterly basis as well, I would assess the campaign ROI like an earnest um, and have a wider conversation around it. So not just the leading indicators, but actually in real terms, what has this generated for us? Because ad engagement is nice until you are four months in and that's all you have to show for it. So those really quite frank conversations can happen on a quarterly basis. Um, and then there's also like, you know, steps to tweak the ICP and retargeting. You can tweak the process on a quarterly basis. Um, 
and kind of just start again quarter to quarter. Um, the reason that I split them up into monthly and quarterly is that I think ICP reviews are too, um, they're, they're big. And if you do them monthly, you are going to have to keep changing all of your campaign setup and therefore you're not going to see any results from it at all. Tweaking processes is an absolute bastard of a project at the best of times, let alone when there's two different teams involved and many, many different uh, moving pieces. So again, review quarterly and let these processes and let these changes bed in before the next review cycle. Um, what's next? Sales, <laughs> sales teams are not part of the, pro the process. This is a real life footage of a salesperson being left out of an ABM program. Um, I took it just myself just last night, as you can tell. Um, so with, um, let's talk about that word ABM for a minute again. So if we position ABM as just a marketing thing, if we don't involve sales, if we don't speak to them about what they need or what they, um, how they want to work with the marketing um, team, they will see ABM as just a marketing campaign and they will focus on their own lead generation first. And here's the funny thing. So if there was a race between sales and marketing on generating leads, sales will win. They will win every time because they're closer to the prospect, right? And they're closer literally by way of proximity. Everyone is just a phone call away from the next prospect. So if that if that's a thing, if we're not involving sales team, if we're not working as a collective, then it will be a race and sales will win and ABM will be scrapped um, because, you know, well, sales are getting on fine by themselves. Like why, why do we need marketing support and all of this investment? So cultural thing big change um talked about the kubler ross cut i'm going to keep saying this until you guys actually kind of remember it for the rest of the life but there will naturally be a lot of hesitation and fear and um i think what what i want to talk about first is how we actually talk to our colleagues about um abm so um how we explained it to them because your typical sdr will not be aware of what of what this new project is and what they're being asked to do right so this is a summary this is how i explain abm to colleagues that don't necessarily understand it so abm projects and working in this account-based way with marketing alignment and with all of the data that you need is the difference between ringing through the yellow pages to find a good fit account. So literally going through your whole list of everything you've got and finding that one person who will speak to you and walking into a room of people who are already kind of half-baked, like ready to buy. Um, yeah, this and is brilliant. And what salesperson would not want that, right? To just go into the room with, with people who are, you know, prepared and, and they already know what is this company about? They already know They're, they have the need, right? And now it's all about clarifying few things. So I believe that sales becomes here more like a facilitator, right? Not necessarily this this uh, Wall Street type of uh, of Wall Street sales, right? Um, because they're already convinced, they have the intent, they have the actual um they engaged with your content so that you can you can just clarify a few things and 
and get the information from the subject matter experts oh. um, and bring it to that to that buyer. So that's why I believe the whole um, profession of sales will change because of this, right? Because yeah. we can go out and, and get the information, get the feedback. We go, we can go to communities. There are so many places to, you know, validate that my decision going with Enrich is, is, is the one that I need to have. So when I go in a, in a room with sales folks, I just need to know details. I have some use cases that I want to validate with, with the team and uh, the sales guy, if, if they don't, they are not subject matter experts, they, they know where to gather this information from. And that's it, right? You don't need to convince that Ooh, we are this and we are that. So, yeah. yeah, but I think like beyond that, I think it'll be such a nice change of pace as well for, for salespeople. Like when ABM truly works, salespeople stop being kind of the pestering LinkedIn presence in someone's DMs, right? They stop having to chase down prospects and arm wrestle them into just taking the demo because the prospect's already aware of who you are. So in theory, it should be like a little bit easier to talk to them, right? Because they're already aware of you. So yeah, yeah it, it's, it changes then from sales team as the, the chasey kind of um, Wolf of Wall Street kind of environment to a sales team of subject matter experts who can actually get technical right prospects and talk to them so yeah i think it's a nice world and um i wish for us all to live in it one day <laughs> so you've done the hard work you've explained what abm is your sales and marketing team are ready to work together um the the buy-in is important but i think the visibility is important to get right here as well so what do i mean by visibility so it's this whole thing about what are marketing actually doing uh, to help us like what what have they done? What has marketing done for me ever? Um, so marketing teams need to be able to show sales that their wins, like the close one deal, the, the pipeline conversions are heavily supported by marketing campaigns. And it's not about saying like, you are nothing without us. It's not, it's not that. It's more look at how we got here together. So again, if you have done the hard work and you've done change management and you've eliminated the relationship problems before sales between sales and marketing before you launch this stuff um the the visibility piece will be eagerly anticipated um it very much starts with process alignment so um on the right here what you can see is um our abm stages and our sdr approach to to each of those stages as well very much summarized because like, you know, business critical information, but effectively you can see what I'm getting at. So make sure that for, for every stage in the process, there is alignment and make sure that for every stage of the process, there is a KPI and make sure people are actually, um, you know, recognized for the work they do. So if an SDR converts, um, like, if an SDR actually influenced an inbound lead, make sure that their name is on it because there's no better way to demotivate someone, right? Um, with visibility, so let's just roll back and talk about the, the very exciting reports um, for a second. Um, so I'll, I'll talk to you about my kind of most favorite ones. Um, so where we, um, where we talk about this 
visibility of what has marketing done for conversion, we can talk about pre-opportunity marketing influenced accounts. So pre-opportunity just means that marketing has reached this account before it became a deal. Um, and marketing influence means that they've done something on it, right? So if you can show that kind of data to your sales team, and if your sales team then go into the detail and go, oh, okay, this is actually an account that was really easy to convert, they start to connect the dots. It's that human element again of show each of the team the other's accomplishments, give them visibility of everything that's happening and be really transparent about it as well. Like it's not just for the board reports, it's for everyone to see how their efforts are shaping up. Um, but have a think about what your visibility thing will be and how you will represent it, how you will review that with a team. Um, but bring as much human into it as possible. So not just about the data and, okay, we've generated X amount of pipeline, but this particular person has done really well or this particular person has done really well. Like that, That's really important. Encouragement in these kind of big changes, it will be massive for everyone. Reporting done. The size of the project in ABM. Um, look, Enrich is an ABM company. We deal in marketing campaigns. We deal with intent data. We're very data driven. Um, and we didn't have an ABM program. Um, I joined in March and that was one of my first questions. Actually, I was like, oh, do you guys? No, we don't. Okay, weird. So we thought we'd do it. Um, it started a very flippant, like, oh, we should really use our own tools and uh, we should like drink our own champagne, I think the term was. Um, mm. But it turned out an enormous project and it's really given us a lot of insight into how like our customers are feeling about all this. So it's been actually really rewarding in many ways, but also, oh my God. Um, yeah, it's it's been a ride. Um, so we thought it would be really like point A to point B, decide to do it, do it, done. Um, what actually ended up happening is that we spent almost a month uh, on the definitions of things. So we had to agree on our ACP. And for context, we were in agreement about our ACP until we started talking about it. So we had a written down definition. We had a very established, uh, very successful sales team that were working on ICP. Everything was in place until someone said, let's agree on ICP. And then it just all went downhill. Um, so we decided that we, we don't agree on it. We've changed it. Um, then we, we worked on our account tiers. So we, we had like a bunch of ICP accounts and then we went, okay, so these are the top priority. These are tier one, tier two, and tier three. Um, then we decided that we don't agree on that at all. So we changed it again. Um, so there was a lot of work to do even before we got to the kind of the, the lovely coloring in part of, you know, creating the content and creating the campaigns, the definitions took the longest. So take that away from this, um, from this webinar and give yourself ample time to decide on things because people will fight um, and they will fight a lot about things that you thought were just common sense. Um, one thing we did get right, though, is making sure that everyone was in the room where these conversations happened. So we've um, we've got a relatively small leadership team. Um, it's the head of marketing, head of SDR, head of sales on the kind of the AE side. And then there is me, who is RevOps and CRM admin in one person. Those are just two of my multiple personalities that um, come out at work. It's 
really I, I can't underline enough how important it is to get everyone in that in that room straight away because if i went to my head of marketing uli and we decided to do the abm thing we planned everything and then we went to sales to talk about it we would have been rolled back months uh, because sales had a lot of input um in terms of like the process that the sdrs will follow the um the icp definitions the tiers the approaches all that kind of stuff you cannot handle this project in a kind of um, in one departmental bubble. It has to go across the board, and it will feel like a kind of like a too many cooks in one kitchen kind of scenario at times. Um, but honestly, it's better than uh, not having enough people on board um, at this stage. C-suite will be will be one of the weird ones to get involved. So we're quite lucky. Marcus, our CEO, is very kind of hands on um, with with this kind of stuff, and he does like to to participate in projects. But um, let's talk about that timeline as well, right? If your C-suite doesn't understand how long things take, the um, the heavy lifting that's involved with getting ABM off the ground and all of those kind of bits and pieces around it, um, they will start um, kicking off <laughs> a lot earlier than um, than you guys will be able to generate any kind of um, returns from ABM. So important to get them involved. Important that they agree to um, agree to do it and understand why it's um, why it's important to to switch strategies. Um, with the tool stack side of things, so you can get a massively unfair advantage here. So in summary, huge undertaking, big cultural shift, but in general, just treat ABM with the care and consideration that it deserves because it's honestly, it's massive, um, but it's beautiful when it works well. Um, before you set the program live, educate your team, make sure it's in terms that they understand, don't alienate them with buzzwords. Um, set yourself the right KPIs because otherwise your ABM campaign will just get canceled. Um, treat it again as a strategy, not as a project. So look back at those review cycles, look back at how you can operationalize review cadences and um, take the steps to actually catch um, the you know KPIs turning down or you know all of those kind of red flags early on. Um, sales on board from day one, can't stress this enough. They need to be in the room where these decisions take place and um, use, pick your tools wisely. Um, I think that is it from me. Thanks Anastasia for all this for and um, greetings to all the folks in Manchester. <laughs> Thanks. Take care, ciao, bye bye. bye, -bye.